Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey everybody, it is episode 170. Today is June 18th, 2020. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by my colleague and friend, Aaron Ritchie. Blake Arnsdorf is on vacation this week, but don't you worry, he will be back next week. Uh, we do have some excellent news stories to talk about uh, this week, and we're going to be taking some questions from the community as well. Um, for for the news, we got consumer product development uh, process guidance. Sounds really boring. It's not boring. We're going to break it down. Uh, but Aaron, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Nick. So, Aaron, can you just like let our listeners? So, full disclosure, you're my friend, uh, and you are in Human Factors as well, so that's good. Um, can you just like let our listeners know what your deal is, who you are, where you've been, uh, stuff like that? Yeah. So, I've been in a Human Factors engineer for about a year now. Um, I moved all the way from Michigan to California to pursue that. Got an awesome offer to start my career off out here on the West Coast. Um, So my degree path is a little different than your typical human factors engineer, believe it or not. Uh, So I have a base in a four-year mechanical engineering degree, and then my master's is in applied cognitive science um, and human factors. And I got both of those degrees from Michigan Tech, way in the tippy top of the UP. Um, And uh, another kind of interesting career path thing is I've known I wanted to be a human factors professional since I was a junior in high school. Shout out to Mr. Combe. He was an awesome, awesome psychology teacher. Um, so yeah, that's 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 a little bit about me. <laughs> so did, did your uh, 11th grade teacher just kind of say, this is human factors and it sounded really interesting to you and that's why you wanted to pursue uh, it? He actually took me aside after class one day and he's like, hey, I can see that you really love psychology. Um, you don't strike me as somebody who would be a therapist. Uh, can I tell you about this other career path that I think could combine, you know, uh, your skills in science and stuff, too? And I was like, sure. And so then, like, we met after class a few times. He connected me with professionals in the field. Um, and that's, like, he really just took the time to <laughs> to point out that it was something he saw in me. That's awesome. It's always, it's always about, like, educators taking time. And, you know, it's, it's tough right now with a lot of people not... Uh, a lot of students not really getting that, um, especially with quarantine and, uh, you know, lack of actual, it, it's hard, right? It's, it's still there, but it's harder. Uh, how are, how are you guys been doing with the whole quarantine thing? I know we talked a little bit before the show, uh, you've been in quarantine for quite some time and, um, any tips, tricks for any of our listeners that might be experiencing something similar? Um, well, we have a dog, so that keeps us kind of occupied and gives us something interesting. We've been doing a lot of training from, well, with her and. So if you're able to adopt a shelter pet, that's uh, I think that's my plug for sh- any shelter in the U.S. If you can adopt a dog right now, it's the time. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, I I gotta say, so this is the part of the show where I usually, um, you know, if if there's something interesting, human factors related, we'll we'll mention it. Uh, but there's something that happened this week that I just can't not talk about. Um, and uh. I feel like Blake would understand, and so I'm I'm hoping that you also extend that understanding. Uh, so um, this this trailer came out on Monday. Uh, it, was, it was for Star Wars Squadrons, and this is a new, <laughs> this is a new video game where 
the whole game takes place in a cockpit. And uh, the thing that's most exciting to me is that the whole game can be played in virtual reality. So if you own a virtual reality headset, which I do, and that's kind of like my bread and butter, um, you are able to uh, fly in the cockpit and play the whole game. So uh, my wife and kid are not going to see me for a week. And the worst part is that it comes out on my son's birthday, so I'm going to have to wait a couple days. And this is bad parent here. It's fine. He's... I'm not going to I'm not going to play the game until after the weekend's over but man it's it's super exciting to me that um you know this is kind of the dream man like I've always wanted my own Star Wars cockpit and and now I can kind of sit in it virtually Well and as your friend and not just your colleague I feel like your son's going to be right there on your lap I I don't think it's going to be you ignoring him <laughs> Oh yeah no he he'll be right there with me <laughs> and when he gets older too he'll be there too All right well why don't we go ahead and get into this next part of the show It's all about Human Factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. This could be anything from medical, security, robotics, AI, and this week, consumer products. Uh, You name it, as long as it relates to the field of human factors, it is fair game for us to talk about. Aaron, what do we have up first this week? So today, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission and Health Canada have published joint guidance on the application and use of human factors principles in the product development process. So this guidance is intended to help developers and manufacturers of consumer products take into account four separate human factors considerations. Uh, So first, the intended product use environment, intended product user, product design or user interface, and tasks to be accomplished by the user. So the guidance also proposes uh, adoption of human factors considerations in each of the six separate stages of product design, And it's supposed to enable companies uh, to produce consumer products that are safer and easier for consumers to use while also reducing product life cycle and cost and risks. Um, So what's kind of interesting about this is historically, um, you know, manufacturing and more traditional engineering companies um, haven't had as much of a history with human factors. So I think this is kind of a neat integration and um, declaration that, hey, this field is recognizing human factors and we're ready to adopt it. What about you, Nick? What do you think? Yeah, no, I, so, okay, there's a reason why I picked this story. Uh, because before the show, you know, we were we were kind of looking through what news stories were available to us. And, um, you know, Aaron, you are, uh, I would say, would it be fair to assume that consumer products are uh, your your topic, your interest area? Yeah, they're definitely my wheelhouse. I had a lot of internships um, with several different consumer product companies before landing where I am. So kind of what I was born in. <laughs> right. So we picked this for a reason. But I also think there's a there's a, it's it's always, uh, you know, Blake and I can get into the same kind of groove of talking about the same stuff over and over and over again, even if it's, you know, if it's interesting. But um, we we try to branch out and talk about like transportation every now and then, and I I realize we haven't really done a whole lot of talking about consumer products um, as the label consumer products. We've talked about them um, just in general, but as we're talking about this term consumer products, uh, what is a consumer product? What does that mean? So a consumer product is in the at least in the engineering realm and now in the human factors realm too, since we're starting to combine the two more formally. 
Uh, it's really those objects that you use every day that you don't think about. So who's making your tube of toothpaste? Who's making your shampoo? Um, and then it, it can range from anything of who's making your phone, who's making your air conditioning unit. So there's ranges of um, and parts of UI in some of these products. And then some of them are just as simple as a, you know, like a toothpaste tube, which is surprisingly not simple, but <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, so it's, I like to think about it as like everyday objects that you wouldn't necessarily think of of uh, human factors going into uh, at first glance, right? When we think of human factors, we think of these advanced systems of systems or even, um, you know, software interfaces that uh, require a lot of uh, cognitive engineering behind them. And so, you know, thinking about something like this, the handle on my Swiffer wet jet, uh which is not a sponsor of this episode, but you you know thinking about that handle, somebody went in and they actually designed this thing to look this way, yeah. right? I mean, it might it might have been an intern like me, <laughs> right? And I mean, like you know, you can you can think about how your hand holds this thing and how the button to release the uh, the floor juice is what I call it uh, is like right where your thumb would be, and so somebody put time and effort into that, and so those that's a good way to think about consumer products. Um, and basically what this is, uh, this is great because this was just announced today. And in fact, this was eight hours. Uh, this was announced eight hours before we recorded, which is, um, which is awesome that the timing just was very serendipitous, uh, with having you on the show, Aaron. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I want to take a step back here as we, as we talk about this guidance, they say it's these uh, four human factors considerations of intended product use environment, intended user, uh, product designer UI, and the tasks that the user performs. And then uh, they also talk about how that applies to the six stages of product design. And I want to step back and kind of define those stages so that way everyone that's listening is aware of them. And uh, as we kind of go through, we can relate to them. So uh, this is project or product planning, idea and concept generation, design and development, testing and validation, production, and post-production evaluation. Uh, so pretty standard run-of-the-mill um, production pipeline there, but that, those are the six stages of product design that we're talking about specifically in relation to this guidance. Um, I don't know. I I had a chance to look at this guidance. Uh, did you have a chance to look at this, Aaron? And, and what do you think of the document itself and kind of how it's laid out? Yeah, um, I was actually surprised. Uh, I guess maybe I shouldn't have been because it's made by human factors professionals, but it's pretty easy to read and it even... Um, it kind of reminded me of like, oh, this is everything I learned in school in a nutshell. Uh, so it lays out everything really, really nicely. Um, when we start like in the first stage there, product planning, I think that this part maybe is lost. Um, uh, a lot of people who aren't in the field of human factors or, or engineering, right? So that's a huge first step. And I'm glad that they, they notated that because before you're even like deciding what product you're building, you're ideating, you're landscaping, um, you're thinking of the user's needs before you even pick a product a lot of times. Um, so I think it's great. I, really, I'm just, <laughs> I'm excited about the first step besides the whole document. But um, so like, there's a lot that goes into safety, what a consumer needs and what they even want before we even begin design. Yeah. And so um, we're going to go through this page by page. 
<laughs> no, but uh, but looking at like what the contents are of this, I agree. I think this is meant for uh, you know folks who are not necessarily human factors, but this is uh, this is a way to help provide guidance in a way to uh, it, it's almost like a heuristic evaluation in a document is is kind of how I'm thinking of it. Um, not quite evaluation, but uh, like a heuristic. Um, procedure there's there's a lot of stuff in here uh from like you know doing preliminary analyses to evaluating risks um to doing human factors testing tasks tasks and uh scenarios that you might put users through um you know you you name it as if it's human factors it's or like at a high level human factors i guess it's it's in here um yeah i mean you know even yeah what's great is um so in the engineering world, I kind of touched on earlier, we're on the manufacturing side, human factors is newer. So human factors was born out of really the creation of computers and started in HCI and understanding interfaces and how can we make this like the real world so people know what the heck this computer is. Um, so integrating it now into manufacturing, like that's newer to the field. In fact, um, there were several job interviews I did when I was, um, you know, fresh out of my bachelor's degree and I'm just a mechanical engineer at that point. I didn't have my master's where I was trying to explain what I wanted to do and how I wanted to apply my degree to help consumers before I even had that extra step on there. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know that we do that. Um, and most companies do that to some extent, but they have these niche little, uh, teams that are learning about it. They're they're seeking out like the IDOs of the world and learning from them and trying to grab those skills because it's so new to manufacturing. So putting out a guidance like this is, I think, huge for the field. One, because it recognizes that human factors has been integrated into manufacturing. Those classical inventor type engineering fields are saying like, hey, yeah, we need this, we want this, we have value in it. So um, great for the job market too, I think. Um, but so, it's good that it's human factors is being recognized in other fields than just their traditional ones. And there, it shows that there's a need um, across all, all products that we make, not just interfaces. Yeah. I I love the sort of ubiquity across uh, products, you know, like this is, (laughs) this to me is kind of the catch all like, Hey, if you're, if you're uh, not an interface or any of the things that we talked about earlier, a system of systems or aircraft or something, uh, you know, HSI in in, uh, in the government and, and uh, military domain, like, I, I think this is a good catch all for a lot of things that maybe where human factors is often not considered. Right. And here's a plug for design of everyday things. If you haven't read it, please go read it. Uh, I feel like it's seminal reading for the field. Um, but you'll find a lot of these types of consumer products in that book where they talk about things like door handles or teapots or things like that, you know, where, uh, if there is guidance in place, you're going to get a lot more usable, a lot more user-friendly, a lot more human factors focused, designed, uh, specifically for people. Um, I I really, I, I can't echo how interesting this document is, is, uh, for me at least, because they go into things that, you know, as, as somebody naive to, uh, consumer products, just as a field in general, um, I, you know, I wouldn't have thought about like the human factors of recalls even, or the, the human factors of, uh, packaging and, and advertising. And it's, it's, um, 
it, it's cool to see that stuff and and the fact that you know human factors folks got together uh, and not just human factors people from the u.s this is a cross-country collaboration with u.s and canada and they got together and said yes these are the standards that we want to lay out and um that, yeah i'm just i'm jazzed about it yeah and i mean in the manufacturing field too when you think about it human factors is really twofold you not only have the human factors of your product, but really thinking about how it's going to be produced, you know, where can you pull in those automatic pieces? Um, and where do you really need a human to check and make sure that, yeah, this is what the part needs to look like. Um, so providing guidance really across that whole process, you know, engineers have been trying to do that for years, but to have something official, um, you know, we as engineers really like documentation and a process to be in place. So giving them something, us something to refer to and say like, oh yeah, like this is what we need to do to make sure that um, the ergonomics are right. This is what we need to do to make sure that we're producing this um, product to the best of our ability, that it'll sell better, um, that we're, even that we're advertising it correctly, you know, like you can human factors a product down to like, okay, what color should we make this bottle? Like, what are they more likely to notice in the aisle? What, what colors, um, are also the other shampoo bottles, you know, how can, how can we make saliency work to our, um, our best of our ability here to get this product, you know, to pop out on the shelf. Um, right. Well, that example that you're talking about there, people might not be aware, but there's human factors into like what dyes you use for certain, uh, shampoos and conditioners, right? Cause if you use a shampoo and conditioner that are the same color bottle on your shelf, People like me who have glasses who can't read labels in the shower are going to reach for one and go and, you know, it's going to be not the thing that we want it to if it's the same color. So it's just little, simple, tiny little things like that that you really have to consider in, in consumer products. Yeah, exactly. And things that you think about that make your life easier every day. You know, why didn't the shampoo bottle slip out of your hand while you were showering? Well, a human factors engineer looked at it and said, hey, man, we need grips here, and this is how big they should be because this is the biggest hand we've ever seen in the history of the world, and here's the littlest one, and this is how big it needs to be for the average person to grip it. <laughs> now, that's that's a great point. So there are two really important things that I want to make sure that we cover before we leave this topic, and that's Appendix A and Appendix B. I'm going to talk about Appendix B first because it kind of goes along with what you're saying. They specifically call out as a whole section in its own uh, accessibility. And I think this is something, well, this is something that Blake and I talk about all the time is making something accessible to someone that may not have had uh, the opportunity to use that product because somebody thought carefully about how everyone can use it, right? The, the example that we just talked about with the, um, the uh, shampoo bottles and conditioner bottles, that was getting it vision. And they have all these sensory and perceptual abilities listed out in here, vision, hearing, touch, smell, balance. And then they also have physical abilities, strength, fine motor skills, movement, voice, uh, cognitive abilities. You know, they have cognition, intellect, memory, language, all this stuff goes in and they felt it was important enough to include it as a appendix section all on its own uh, as, as a reference because this spans everything. Um, so that's appendix B. Did you have any thoughts on, on accessibility before I move on to Appendix A? Um, yeah, actually, accessibility is like huge and near and dear to my heart. So it's another thing that I'm glad they're calling out in this doc. Um, 
in college, I actually did a research project about um, Michigan Technological University's campus and how accessible it was to other people um, who might have had a, an injury or disability that prevented them from getting around easily in the snow. And so um, I think like as human factors engineers, we're, we're privy to that sort of thing and we're always trying to think about making products more accessible, but I'm really glad that they called it out um, in this doc specifically to kind of bring that awareness into the engineering world um, because, you know, engineers are, are focused on the smarter, the faster, um, the, the cheaper to produce. And so, which is great. Somebody needs to think about that, but it's, it's awesome that we can integrate that with, okay, but also everyone can use it. Yeah, I agree. And so the other, the other point that I want to make sure that we cover appendix a, uh, and this is so incredibly important for people like you and I, and probably everyone listening, they specifically call out who can do this, uh, which is us. This is human factors professionals. They actually call out what types of things you should be looking for in a job position to where someone could effectively tackle these types of guidance and principles. So they're talking about education, right? They're, they're, look, they're saying, uh, look for somebody with specific experience in human factors courses, degrees, certificates, that type of thing. Um, graduate level, uh, typically. Uh, human factors curriculum within industrial engineering or in engineering psychology. They're calling out all these things specifically, right? Practical experience um, results in products that are usable, safe, well-received. Poor product design is bad publicity. They call out all this stuff. Certification. They talk about certs there. Uh, they talk about finding qualified human factors uh, professionals. So they spell it out. They say, this is what they do. And this is where you can find them. They even call out things like HFES, APA, ergonomics.org. Uh, they call out, um, you know, the International Association of Applied Psychology, the International Ergonomics Association. There's a lot of great stuff that they call out specifically. Uh, so that way, anyone who might read this document and go, oh, shit, we don't have that. Let's let's get one of these people. Well, then they can click on these. And they can like there's you could post a job offer on the HFES website, you know, like that's to me, that was a very clever thing that whoever put this document together knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, and so, you know, um, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, our field is forever growing. Right. And so the more awareness that we bring, um, really, if we're doing our job right as human factors professionals and the people that are making this documents, we're going to make it easy and accessible for you to find people like us that are ready to be hired and want to do that work. Um, so yeah, couldn't agree more that this is, this is awesome. And I love that they linked those organizations that, you know, ultimately helped me get my job. So <laughs> Well, Aaron, I'm so glad we got to talk about something that interests you. And, you know, I learned a lot today, too. Um, do you have any other closing thoughts about this before we get into the next part of the show? Um, yeah, I just I think that we need to continue to make strides like this, uh, especially in the world of engineering and and really up the number of human factors engineers um, in those in those manufacturing settings. Uh, like when I was interning there was often like maybe one or two people at the company that had a background of this and you're, you're talking like fortune 500 um, companies. Right. So I think this is an awesome step in the right direction. And um, you know, my goal is to make a, a more user-friendly world as I'm sure uh, <laughs> you probably align with that with your career too, Nick. So 
Um, I, I just, I'm glad that we're heading this direction. Me too. All right. Well, we'll be back to break down the rest of the, uh, you know what? We're going to take a quick break and we're just going to get into another part of the show. So forget I even said that. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back, and I'm an idiot that can't remember that we're only doing one news story now, so thank you to all of our friends over at In Compliance Mag for uh, our one news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post uh, those all over social media and on our Slack, uh, and you can check those out for links to the original articles. We do post those as we find them, so uh, there's always new stuff. All right, so why don't we go ahead and switch gears and get into the next part of the show. It came from... It came from... That's right, it came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community's talking about. Any topics, fair game, as long as it relates to the field of human factors. And as a subtle, or not so subtle reminder, uh, Dan Nathan Roberts was on our show, uh, I guess everyone heard it last week, and we did take a week off to recognize other voices that should have been heard. Uh, And so Dan was on our show last week, talking about the post-COVID-19 response, I just want to remind everyone that uh, that link is available in our show notes for that, and I'll make it available in the show notes for this as well, and it's available on our Slack. There's a there's a couple different routes that you can go, um, so please go check that out if you have anything to contribute. Uh, we're all working together as a, as a community here, so uh, go check that out. Okay, so we have uh, two of them this week, Aaron. Uh, I'll read these, uh, and then I'll kind of toss it over to you. So, uh, this first one here is posted by uh, Human Experience One Two Three. This is on the User Experience subreddit. They write, "Is it okay to put side businesses as a project on my portfolio?" They go on to write, "I have a side e-commerce business that I'm passionate about on the side. I'm wondering if it's a good idea or bad idea to put it as a project on my portfolio." Obviously, it's not so much a pure UX project, but more of a, hey, this is an area I'm passionate about. Here's a real-life example of something that I built from scratch, which includes website marketing research. I also have numbers to show the amount of sales I have. I personally think this is a great project to put on, as it shows the knowledge I have of the business side as well. But I'm curious if anyone has any other thoughts. So, Aaron, I'm going to toss this over to you. What do you think? Is it okay to put something like this on your portfolio? Well, first of all, I think he answered his own question right? Your your resume, your portfolio should be a reflection of your passion and who you are and really give that Snapchat to your uh, employer of what you're all about. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's a good idea. Uh, I personally, so I love to quilt and I, I have an Etsy shop um, that hasn't done much since I got a professional job, but <laughs> um, 
that was on my resume when I applied for my current job. And one of the owners of the company that I work at saw that and his wife also quilts. And they've talked to me about that and remembered that about me ever since that I interviewed. And so it's been a really cool talking point to allow me to connect uh, where where I work. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you should you should limit how many passions you put on there. Maybe you don't want to seem like you're over-involved across too many things um, where it seems like you may not even have time for what you're currently applying for. But yeah, you should put one or two things on your resume where you're like, yeah, this this is something I do that I make time for that I feel I'm good at and here's why. Yeah, so I, I say this on the show all the time. I feel like a broken record with it, but it is all about how you spin the things that you're you put on your portfolio or uh, put on your resume, right? So what I would do in this uh, example, right, if we're talking about a human factors spin on uh, putting one of these like side businesses um, together, I would say, look, like I did my user research, I figured out what types of things were working to get the most sales. I figured out, you know, I, I managed... Uh, and especially if you're applying for like a middle management position or a higher management position, even, you know, say, Hey, look, like I worked with other people. I worked with customers. I, I figured out how to negotiate, um, deals. I figured out how to, you know, and, and those skills are often overlooked, right? Cause you could have a bunch of different things on your portfolio that say you can do human factors, um, but the less tangible, more valuable things a lot of time is how do you deal with people? How do you deal with um, sort of these other things that uh, pop up, you know, on the day to day that might not be human factors? And I think putting something like this in your portfolio could help. Uh, again, it's all about how you spin it. Um, it if you say you do these things in uh, in a human factors way, I think it could go a long way to help support you. Uh, if you if you frame it as an e-commerce business, some people might question, okay, this is not for the job that you're applying for. I don't quite understand why it's there. Uh, this felt like more like a slide one. Hey, I put together my own business and now I'm going to talk about my human factor stuff. Yeah, um, I mean. That's, that's just my two cents. I completely agree with you and – when you're applying for a job, you should be really thinking about tailoring that resume to wherever you're applying every time. And I know that sounds like a lot of work rather than just sending it out to multiple places. But, um, you know, taking the time to sit down and write that and really tailor, okay, how can all of these experiences apply to these bullets that you have that you you need someone for? Um, and if you're really thinking through that thought process on, okay, Maybe I trained elephants in India for a year, but what can that say about my people skills, my how I can work on a team and human factors? Like if you can connect those things and communicate, um, that's I mean, communication is a skill that every job is looking for pretty much. Yeah. And I, I will say this is true not only for things that uh not only for those of you with experience, but especially for those of you without experience, if you can put a passion project on a, a resume, write down everything that you do, even if it's for a class project, right? Like you can say you've done this skill. Uh, you can say that you're super passionate about like even woodworking or something, right? And you can say, look, like I had to use the scientific method to figure out, you know, I, I, went through the design phase literally with my woodworking stuff. Like there's a bunch of different hobbies that you can do 
um, or you know, side businesses, anything you can think of. If you can mold it to to make it fit your story, I think that will go a long way. Um, I'm vigorously nodding. Any my other head. closing thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> any other th- closing thoughts on no, that I one? I think he said it. All right. So we got one more. Uh, this is posted by user Timmy Young, uh, also from the user experience subreddit. What do you think about user interviews? I feel uncomfortable. Uh, they go on to write, <laughs> I'm usually the interviewer and not the one being interviewed. Well, good. I hope so. I'm, although I'm not actually the one asking the questions. Okay. I participated in one interview and felt very uncomfortable with it. The more I think about it, user interview is basically just extracting as much information from the user. It's like, okay, we have an hour. Let's do this. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. In a way, it's an interrogation? Question mark? It made me feel like, who the expletive are you to ask me about my life? (laughs) Uh, Now, I know you can be real smooth in an interview, make things feel like just having a conversation. Also, the person being interviewed signed up for this. So everything was pretty much expected, but still I can't find myself wanting to participate in future interviews, although I might have to. What do you think? Am I crazy? Aaron, is this person crazy? They may be. Um, I, yes, that is what an interview is. You are trying to extract as much um, information as you can. Um, You don't, you don't need to make it feel like an interrogation though. Maybe, maybe technique is the issue here. Um, Maybe, you know, they need to practice turning these conversations into just that, a conversation instead of a question answer session. And that takes some time and that's okay. Um, But yeah, if you're getting into the field of human factors, uh, you, you probably want to brush up on how to interview. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts about this and I will try to not ramble here. Um, My first point is that, Interviews are more about preparation than they are about the actual interview. Um, Interviews with a user, uh, if it's a specific topic that you're talking about, part of the preparation work is to come up with a list of questions that you're talking about. Now, I know they talked about question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. You have to get it out of your head that you need to answer every question. Maybe get like the, the... basic i need to know this information and then talk around that stuff later uh and you know part of that is also note taking and i'm kind of getting into my second point here there's two people in this interview i don't think that's wrong i think the fact that they are the one that is uh not hang on let's see that i am actually the interviewer and not the one being interviewed although I'm not actually the one asking the questions. So this is confusing to me. I'm going to try to break it down. I think they're taking it sounds notes. Like, it sounds like they're taking notes. Um, and that's what I was going to say, is you need one person there to ask the questions, one person there to take the notes. And you know the person that's asking the questions needs to be the one that works in the casual conversation. You need to understand the whole point of a user interview is to understand what they are doing for the thing that you are studying about them. Right. right? And so, yes, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer works, but it's you, I feel personally like you get a lot more out of it. If you just talk to them as a human, be like, I know this is awkward, but you know, Hey, so explain why you're there. 
first off, you know, say, hey, my name is Nick and I'm from, you know, the human factors division of XYZ. What does that mean? Well, actually, I'm just here to get a better sense of what you do. So that way, when I take it back to the people that are making the thing that you use, they're actually going to take my feedback from me talking with you because I'm I'm going to put it together in a way that makes sense to them. I'm basically your translator to them and I'm your advocate. I I basically work for you, you know, and and kind of phrase it like that and and a lot of it's the setup. And so um Yeah, you want to let them you know, know too that you, you they're not going to hurt your feelings. I think that's always an yeah, important exactly. line. Like, you know, you can tell me anything. Like, I I don't care. You know, you can tear this product apart. That's my job. Like, um yeah. But yeah, I mean, to your point of preparation, too, you want to have enough questions on the page where if if it gets awkward and they don't maybe they don't know how to answer, you have more things you can prompt with. But um, you also don't want to you don't want to overwhelm yourself and think, yeah, I, I have to get to every single thing on this page. If you're in a, a user working group um, and asking questions and you don't get derailed, then I think you're doing it wrong because then you haven't gone down a rabbit hole that you needed to go down to get that little tidbit about the user that you had no idea was happening. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the whole point of them thinking, it made me feel like who the expletive are you to ask me about my life? I think, you know, that will go a long way if you explain who you are, what you're doing. Um, so preparation, explaining why you're there, uh, and having it more conversationally, um, I think are, are some really good tips for that. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry this person is having such a hard time. User interviews are not easy. It takes a lot to actually be a people person. And I don't believe that's a real phrase, but to be uh, comfortable with talking with people, I think it takes a lot of effort, right? Um, and, and it's easy for me to say someone who hosts a podcast on, on a weekly basis talking uh, to, you know, a, a wide audience in the human factors field for me to say this, um, I'm quite shy in, in real life. And if I've never met somebody, especially somebody who like, you know, working with the military, it's like uh, you, you don't want to come off dumb. And um, but also that can work in your favor, too. If you up front say, hey, look, I, I just don't know. I just don't know, and I'm here to understand. So that way, when I take it back to these people, they can understand too. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to that acknowledging that you are naive to the process in a lot of cases, and you're just trying to find out more information. Yeah, well, I, my, one of my favorite phrases that I learned at like, one of my first internships is, you are not the user, right? Like that. If you think you're the user and you're designing for the user, then you've got to rethink your process because you need to separate the two. Even if you are a day-to-day user, like I use shampoo every day, but if I'm designing a shampoo bottle, I have to pretend like I don't because just my opinion and personal experience doesn't matter. It's got to be a collective of what you're pulling from lots of people. Um, oh, oh, hang on. This just in. Edit. Just to be clearer. Uh, my company is doing user interviews, and I join the interviews to learn how to conduct them. I'm asked to take charge in the future, but I do not feel comfortable. Uh, You'll get there. And there's got to be like some kind of IRB in place, right? Like he realizes there's an ethical process behind everything that we do, where it gets approved, and most companies have an IRB board that's looking over everything that you're taking in front of a user, and there's science behind deciding, yeah, this is okay to ask, or no, that's not ethical in the first place. So, um. Granted that this is a an ethical company, I would assume that 
you know, they're not asking, <laughs> there's <laughs> proper warning and they're not asking something too personal, right? Like, <laughs> Uh, you'd hope you'd hope maybe, maybe not all companies but that's all i'll say all right that's it for today everyone let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week you can join the discussion on our slack or follow us all over our social channels at h factors podcast if you want to write in directly to us we're always happy to receive those we read each and every one that comes through our inbox that's at email uh, show at humanfactorscast.com if you like what you hear want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, there are a lot of other people out there that need your donations right now. Please don't donate to us. I'm telling you, don't donate to us. Donate to something else. Uh, and, of course, I, I was just reading the thing. Just donate to other people. Don't even worry about us. We're fine. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Aaron Ritchie for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about shampoo bottles? <laughs> they can find me on LinkedIn, and then uh, I've recently been added to the Slack. Excellent. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.